What a beautiful song. What a wonderful time of praise and worship. Just exalting the name of Jesus. Something we'll be doing for all eternity. Something we do as Christians, as believers, is just to lift up his name and, and live lives in a worthy manner to bring worship and honor to him. Remain standing as I read Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 6, please. The Apostle Paul says, Therefore I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance for one another in love, being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. This is just magnificent. (laughs) There is one body and one Spirit, just as also you were called in one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Let's pray. Father God in heaven, thank you for your word. Lord, thank you for this service this morning, Father. Father, we have gathered this morning as believers on the first day of the week to be encouraged, to be strengthened, Father, and just to worship you and dive into your word. So, Lord, we thank you for this time now. Minister to us. Anoint me with your Holy Spirit to just teach it clearly. And, Lord, let it sink deep in the hearts of your people. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. You may have a seat. So we're in Ephesians. We're we're halfway through the book of of Ephesians. I hope you've been blessed by the study. I have been challenged um, by Scripture, you know, um, but we come to Ephesians chapter 4 this morning, and we're going to see a huge shift. Paul's going in a different direction now. Ephesians chapter 1, 2, and 3 is theology. It's what God has done. Remember Ephesians chapter 1? It says that uh, God chose you before the foundation of the world. He predestined you. Ephesians chapter 2, he raised you out of darkness. You said, it says, it said this, this text says, you were dead in your transgressions, you were dead in your sins, and God raised you to life. And then chapter 3, we've been united with Christ. We've been united with the body. Reconciliation has taken place in a massive way like never seen before. Reconciliation with God. Because before we were right with God, the Bible says we were enemies of God by our evil, wicked works. But reconciliation has taken place by Jesus' death on the cross with, with God. And reconciliation has taken place between brothers and sisters in Christ. So these are these great, profound theological truths that Paul, the Apostle Paul has presented to us in Ephesians chapter 1, 2, and 3. And now he's going to go from what God has done. Now the focus is on you. Now the focus is on our response to the gospel. That's what the rest of this book is for. The rest of it is, is our response. The book of Ephesians, you know, sometimes I'll, I'll, last Sunday I preached a whole entire chapter. This, um, Ephesians chapter 4, I'm going to divide it into four parts and, and teach it over four different Sundays. But if you zoom out and you look at the entire book of Ephesians, it's a picture of the gospel. Ephesians chapter 1, 2, and 3, what God has done in, in, in Ephesians 4, 5, and 6 is our response. God calls us, we respond. We repent, we believe, we receive him as our Lord and Savior. Beautiful picture of, of the gospel. But the gospel commands a response. 
let there be no doubt in our minds, you know, and, and in the church and to people we evangelize. The gospel of Jesus Christ commands a response. It, 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 it basically commands everything. When you, when you take the sayings of Christ seriously and you read the text, you see that this is a call to give our entire life to him. It's more than a, um, a heartfelt belief or a mental assent to the truth. It's a surrender of our whole entire life. How many of you ever heard that hymnal, uh, When I Surveyed the Wondrous Cross? We, that is a beautiful, beautiful song. But I want to read to you the lyrics of it. Because I believe that whoever wrote it had this in mind. This giving your whole life over. It's in that, that hymnal says, When I surveyed the wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory died, my richest gains I count but loss. Love so amazing, so divine, he says, demands my soul, my life, my all. The gospel of Jesus Christ, Christianity, and the Bible calls us to a life of surrender. It calls us to a life of discipleship. It calls us to a life of living a new way. So there's a change that takes place in our hearts. There's a change that takes place in our mind. But then there's a change that takes place in the way we live. And that's where the Apostle Paul is going in Ephesians chapter 4. Had a wonderful time of studying it this week and and preparing to teach it. But I want to spend a little bit of time, especially on verse 1. So take a look at Ephesians chapter 4 verse 1. This first verse is like the theme of the whole entire chapter. You could take this this first verse and apply it to each one of my sermons over the next three weeks. So let's take a look at Ephesians 4.1 is the overarching theme of the whole entire chapter. Paul says, Therefore I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling which you have been called. So he, first off, for the second time in this letter, Paul reminds his readers that um, he's a prisoner of the Lord. Uh, what happened after the book of Acts? What was taking place? This was taking place. The, the book of Acts ends with Paul going into house arrest. And here is Paul, post-Acts, writing the letter to the Ephesians. And the first thing he says here, he says, um, I implore you. That word implore means uh, I beseech you. I beg you, Paul is saying, please, 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 please understand this. And that's what I say to you this morning, is please understand this. Let these words of Scripture sink in deep. Let it change our life. He says, I implore you, please understand this. Please get this. And then he says that you walk. That word walk means how we conduct our lives. How we live in everyday life. Christianity is more than just Sunday morning. It's more than just Wednesday night. It's a life of dedication to Christ. It's a life of of worship before the Lord. It's a life that, man, I am committed to him. He has been so great to me, Ephesians 1, 2, and 3, that now I am going to walk. And he says, and how are we going to walk? Look at it. In a manner that is, in a manner worthy of the calling which you have been called. That, the, the Greek word for worthy is axios, which, which we get our English word axiom. Axiom means uh, to, to be of equal weight. So it's like the first half of Ephesians, what God has done, there's a pendulum, and then the second half is what we have done. It is what we do in response 
to what God has done for us at the cross. The word axiom needs to be of equal weight. In an equation, the axiom indicates doing something to each side so that it remains true. Our commitment to Christ should be an equal weight with what we have to give to him in service to the Lord. Because he has been, in other words, he gave everything, we should do the same. We should give our lives to him because he has been so good and so gracious to us. But, that, but still, there's that word, in a manner worthy, uh, axios, axiom, to be of equal weight. Are we carrying our weight? Now, salvation is a free gift, okay? There's no works that you can do to get to heaven. It's a free gift. But there is a response that God calls us to to respond to him in surrender, to respond to him in obedience, to respond in him, uh, to serve him all the days of our life. And we have to ask ourselves, are we carrying our weight? Are are we carrying our weight? So that's the overarching theme. Uh, So how do we walk in a manner worthy? This is where we're going. Let's look at the uh, second slide. Here we go. As I was laying out the passage for my teaching for the next four weeks, this is what I'll be teaching on for the next four weeks, so you'll know. Uh, today, how to walk in a manner worthy, how to carry our weight, our axiom, in unity. Next week, do how to walk in a manner worthy of our gifts and our serving. Then the third week, holiness and purity and living the life of holiness. And specifically, Paul's going to dive into that section on sexual purity and walking in holiness and being separate from the world. Then the final, um, on November 4th, how to walk in a manner worthy in our everyday living. We want to understand what Scripture says. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of Christ. And it teaches us how to live in a worthy manner of the calling that we have received. So that's where we're going. So, week one, how to walk in a manner worthy. Unity. Let's look at that. I believe that's what Paul, the Apostle Paul I don't believe that's what, he's, that's what the Apostle Paul is addressing in verses 2 through 6. So let's look at verses 2 through 6. How to walk in a manner worthy when it comes to the area of unity. We've got to carry our weight in this area. In other words, unity in the body of Christ, it doesn't just happen automatically. It takes diligent work on our part. Why is unity important? Because Jesus prayed for it. In John chapter 17, verse 20 through 21, Jesus said, I do not ask on behalf of these alone, but for those also who believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, even as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you sent me. Three three things there in that text that shows us why unity is important. First off, it reflects the nature of God. Unity in the body of Christ, it reflects the nature of God. Look at um, verses, in verses 17 through 20, or John chapter 17. He says, even as you, Father, are in me, and I in you. There was unity. There's always been unity amongst the Trinity. They've, They've never been in disagreement. They've always been in perfect unity. The triune God, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. They've always been in unity. And when you and I, as believers, as the body, we operate in unity, we reflect the nature of God. 
Secondly, it says in there, at the very end of verse 21, he says uh, that they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you sent me. It's our witness. It's our witness. We should present a witness to the world that the church is in unity, that we're unified. We're unified under the lordship of Jesus Christ. And ultimately, the third reason why unity is important is because it's simply this. It just comes down to obeying God, obedience, surrendering our will, and saying, God, I want to obey you. Your word says I need to live in unity. Therefore, I'm going to crucify my flesh, and I'm going to do whatever it takes to get along and to be a team player with the body of Christ. So that's why it's important, because it reflects the nature of God. It is our witness, and ultimately, it's obeying the Lord. Now, in verse 2, look at verse 2. Paul is going to describe what obedience to this command looks like. Let's take a look at it. Verse 2, he says, uh, With all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance for one another in love. There's a lot to unpack here. And, and look at verse 3. He says, and being diligent. He, he's saying being diligent of these things I just mentioned. So let's look at them very closely. Let's look at those very closely. Verse 2, he says, with all humility. What is humility? What is humility? Humility is placing other people first. It, it's, it's, it's living humble and, and looking out for other people's needs even above your own. Yeah, we take care of ourselves. No, no person has an issue with that. We all make sure we have what we need, but we need to take it a step further and take care of other people. And even to the point where it encroaches on our lifestyle and maybe even becomes a little uncomfortable, but we need to help other people. We need to walk in this humility. The, the enemy of, of humility is, is when we're consumed with ourselves. As we're consumed with, number one, where we're, we're singing that song by Toby Keith. It's all about me. You know, but, but humility is when I say, man, Dalton really needs this or, or, or whatever, and I'm going to do whatever I can to help him or any of you or, or people helping us. It's, it's, it's walking in humility. It's placing other people first. Who is our example of humility? Jesus. Jesus. How did Jesus show humility? What do we see in the Gospels of, of how Christ showed humility to this world. One of the biggest ones, and I, I, I just, I've heard of it being done in church, but I haven't seen it done, but he washed the disciples' feet. Them crusty, dirty, sandaled feet. The Son of God, the one who created the universe, came to this earth, and he served his, he served his disciples by washing their feet. What a beautiful picture of humility. Jesus associated with the downcast. There was nobody that he would not associate himself with because he came for all people and he loved them. He fed the 5,000. He fed the 5,000 on the hillside. He showed humility. And ultimately, Christ's ultimate um, sign and demonstration of humility to us was at the cross where he placed Every single one of us before himself. He had been in eternal fellowship with the Father. The eternal Son of God. The second member of the Trinity. But in perfect union with the Father. 
And I believe when Jesus died on the cross, the Father turned his head as God's wrath was poured out on Jesus. The punishment for our sin was placed upon him. In Christ, in that act at Calvary, he placed you above himself. He served us at the cross. So we need to walk in humility. Okay, let's, that's one of them. Let's look at the next one. And, and gentleness. Some of your versions say meekness. Uh, this is, I love this one, man. This is strength under control. This is strength under control. You're strong, and you know where you stand, but, you're, but you have self-control. You maintain your composure. You, you maintain uh, your emotions. In, in a spirit of gentleness, we don't seek revenge. We don't seek revenge. But what we do is we seek forgiveness. We seek forgiveness. Think about uh, when Jesus was on the cross, what did he say? He said, Father, forgive them. For they know, know not what they do. How are you doing? How are you doing this morning? How, are you, how, how's your, your axiom? How's your weight? How, how are we doing? I'm telling you, man, when, as I was studying it this week, man, it was just beating me up. As I'm studying the text, I felt like there was these two boxing gloves just saying, bam, 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 just knocking me out. And I was like, oh, Lord, help me. Help me grow in this area of unity. Help me grow in humility help me grow in in gentleness help me help us grow lord you know we we wrestle with this thing called the flesh but thankfully for the 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 holy spirit and the scripture he transforms us and he changes us and i hope he's doing that in your heart and mind right now let's look at the next one he says uh with all humility and gentleness he says and with patience we're not short-tempered we're not short-tempered we're, we're graceful. We're graceful towards people. You know, that's important to be, to, be, to be graceful towards people, even when you don't disagree with them, even when they've done something wrong. We're, 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 we're patient with, with people just like, ready for this? God was patient with us. Mm. I think about all those years I had the rebel fist up. You stay out of my life. You stay away from me. I, I ain't have no part of this Christianity. And I lived a rebel life. And God was patient. He could have knocked me out. But he was gracious. And he was patient with me. He wanted me to come to him. And so Paul is saying here in Ephesians chapter 4. He's saying this is for you and me. This is for believers. And ultimately remember the overlying theme of my message is, is it brings unity. This is what builds unity within our body and then finally uh, showing tolerance in, in verse 2 he says and showing tolerance in love now he's not talking about tolerating sin he's not talking about tolerating sin we confront sin we deal with sin and we, we call people to repent of sin but what he's saying when he says showing tolerance in love he's, not, he's saying this I believe he's saying this that we understand that we all come from different walks of life we all have different flavors in life. Some of us are northerners. Some of us are southerners. Some of us are from this culture. Some are from this culture. We all come from different walks of life. And there's a grace in understanding different people. You know, Brandon is not just like David at all. He said, no, and I'm not like Brandon. We all come from different walks of life. 
We all come from different flavors. And we have to be understanding and we have to be tolerating of one another and, and show each other grace. Because we're not always going to see eye to eye. We've got to show each other grace. We've got to carry our weight. And look at verse 3. Remember, the, the, the verse numbers were added. Showing tolerance and love, and it says being diligent. We've got to be diligent in these things. This is, this is what unifies the body of Christ. This is what unifies believers across the churches, within the fellowship, across the universal body of Christ. This are the things that will bring unity to the body of Christ, that we walk in humility, we walk in gentleness, patience, and we're showing tolerance and love. That's, this, is, this is where the rubber meets the road. This is where we grow. Man, and you can apply these principles not only to the church, but you can apply them to the family. Hello? Even in our family. You exercise these gifts with your spouse, with your children, with your brothers and sisters in Christ. All of a sudden, you start getting along. All of a sudden, you start understanding one another. These are, are universal eternal principles that God has given believers so that we can live in unity for one another. As I was studying it this week, man, I'm telling you, man, I was just like, oh, Lord, I got so many areas to grow in. I got so many things. Lord, I need your help in these areas. But let's look at verse 3. Are we carrying our weight in unity? He says, being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace that phrase being diligent it means um, to make every effort to uh, to make it a priority to make it a priority to do what to preserve the unity of the spirit the holy spirit is at work in the church and the holy spirit is wanting to do these things in our hearts in our lives in our in our in our people so that he can bring us together man this right here Man, this is, this is, this is uh, like concrete. This is what fortifies the body. This is what makes the body strong. It's when we're operating in this spirit of gentleness, patience, showing tolerance, walking in humility. And when somebody comes in and they're not, it, it fortifies the body. It protects the body from that person coming in and dividing or, or wreaking havoc. It protects the body. That's why we have to be, the verse 3, uh, verse 3 is really the cornerstone of verses 2 through 6. Because that's what he's talking about, is, is unity of the Spirit. Unity of what the Holy Spirit is doing in our church, and in our lives, and in our Christian homes. Look at verse 4. Now, as we look at these last three verses here, verses uh, 4 through 6 is what brings us together. This, verses 4 through 6 is the glue that binds us all together, that makes us a body, that makes us a family. This is, and not only Calvary Chapel, but this is the glue that binds us with CLA, Columbia Crossroads, the Baptist churches down the street. This is what brings us together and makes us one body. Any church that's a Bible-believing church Let's look at it. Let's look at what, let's look at what binds us all together. Uh, there is one body and one spirit, just as also you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, 
one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. When I read this text, I was like, man, I could preach on this and this alone. This is the, that the some of these, these, these items in here, not, not some of these things, all these things, should be the first thing we should look at when we, when we visit a church or we go to a Bible study. What do you believe about Jesus? Because there's doctrines over Christ that divide us. There's doctrines that unite us, and there's doctrines that divide us. So let's go through each one of these, and let's talk about what the Bible says about it. And, and, and let's look at what our church believes. And here it is. This is what Calvary Chapel believes. Let's look at the first one in verse uh, 4. He says in verse 4, there is one body. What do we believe? This is why I played that opening video with Newsboys, We Believe. Because these are the, this is the cornerstone. This is the foundation. First off, concerning the body, the, the body is not an institution. It's not an institution. It's not even a building. It's believers. It's the, it's the, the body is the body of Christ. It's believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, 2 Corinthians 5.20 says, we are therefore ambassadors for Christ. The body are the believers around the world who believe in Jesus and who represent Christ to this world. That is what the body is. The body uh, is his voice. It's his voice in the earth. God doesn't have a bullhorn and he's shouting down from heaven. He speaks through his body. Chuck Colson wrote a book about 20 years ago. He's, he's, he's passed, but he, he wrote a book called The Body. Anybody remember that book? An amazing book. Talking about uh, making the shift from the church not being an institution or an organization, but understanding and driving home the point in his book was that we are the church, that we are the body, and that when we leave this building, we take the body the church, the kingdom of God, to the world around us. And it's very important that we understand that, that, we, we, that this is the body, is, 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 is the church, the believers in Christ. Little side note, I'm not against denominations. I, 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 I believe, contrary to what some people say, I, be, I believe that denominations are a gift from God. You know, some people like to rock the house on Sunday mornings. Some people like to sing from their hymn books. Some people like a very charismatic. Some people don't like a very charismatic service. But I believe as long as we unite and we agree on, on Christianity and we all meet at the same watering hole, which is God's word, then we are one body. Whether you go to a Baptist church or a Presbyterian church or, a, or, or whatever uh, non-denominational church or uh, we're one body. We're one body. And, and if you want to go, if you want to swing, go and dance in the aisles and do banners and swing from the chandeliers, praise the Lord. Go do it. I might join you one Sunday. Um, anyway, so there's one body. Verse, verse 4, it says, there's one body, there's one spirit. What do we believe about the spirit? The Holy Spirit is the third member of the Trinity. The Holy Spirit is God. He is deity. The Holy Spirit's job is when you put your trust in Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit baptizes you into Jesus Christ and into the body. He brings you into union and, and fellowship with Jesus. 
You know, a lot of times we'll say, Jesus is in my heart. Well, actually, it's the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the one that is dwelling on the inside of us. That is the Spirit that unites us. Then we believe that the Holy Spirit, he brings gifts. We're going to be talking about it next week when we hit verses 7. When we hit verses um, 7 through 16, we're going to be talking about the gifts and the callings and what the Holy Spirit, but he gives us uh, gifts. And one of the great things about the, the Holy Spirit, I believe, is, is he helps us study our Bible. You know, every time we open our Bible, we need to pray. We need to say, Lord, Holy Spirit, help me. Open my eyes and let me see this text. Let the pages, let the words from, let the, the words on the pages of Scripture, let them make their way from the pages into my heart. And that's one of the works of the Holy Spirit. That's the one spirit that unites us. Continuing in verse 4, he says, uh, Just as also you were called in one hope of your calling. Verse 5, this one's huge. He says, one Lord. One Lord. What do we believe about one Lord? Number one, talking about we believe his name is Jesus. He is our Lord. Jesus is the Son of God. Talking about deity. He, he's the uh, second member of the Trinity. He existed before he came to this earth. There was a point in time in the past where the Father looked at the Son and said, it's, it's time. It's time. And the Holy Spirit brought Jesus into this world through the birth of the Virgin, Virgin Mary. He was born of a virgin. He was born of a virgin. Irene, were, Irene and I were at a church about 12, 13, 14 years ago, and um, she was up at the church helping out, and one of the ladies got into a conversation with her, and she said, uh, the um, lady told Irene, she says, I just don't see what the big deal is about the virgin birth. My wife's like, what? What did you just say? What did you just say? I, I think there is. There is. We hold to the virgin birth. Because he is God. He is God. He is deity. And we hold to the virgin birth. And the virgin birth is a doctrine that we hold to and that we will divide over because it, it, it represents the deity of who Jesus Christ is. And that leads into the next point of who Jesus is. Because he was born of a virgin, he lived a sinless, perfect life. He lived a sinless, perfect life. The Jesus we believe in, the Jesus of the scripture, the Jesus, the one Lord that Paul is talking about in verse 4, lived a sinless, perfect life. He never sinned. He was the pure and perfect, spotless Lamb of God. This one Lord was the sacrifice that the Father made for our sins. Jesus of Nazareth, who came and bled and died on the cross for our sins. We hold to these things. We hold, you know, we talked about in verse 1, carrying your weight, walking in a manner worthy. How do you walk in a manner worthy, David, when you're talking about theology, when you're talking about the things that hold us together? Here's how you walk in a manner worthy. Here's how you hold your weight. You stand firm on these truths. You stand firm on these truths. This is the anchor we don't move. This is where we drive our stake in the ground and say these things we hold to. This is Christianity. And we believe this, this, 
verse 5, one Lord, Jesus crucified, risen, ascended. And we're going to be looking at it next week about his ascension. When he ascended on high, he, he gave gifts. But also coming again, as that opening video talked about. That Jesus, the one Lord of the scripture, Jesus, he will come again. That's the one Lord. That's the one that, that unites us. Then he says in um, verse, verse 5, he says, one faith, one faith. Uh, there's two interpretations of, of faith here. Some people talk about, some scholars believe that what Paul's talking about here, one faith, he's talking about the Christian faith. Um, this, and it could be, it could be that. He could be saying there's one biblical, orthodox Christian faith. But he also could be saying here, there's one faith. In other words, we believe that there's one faith that saves on an individual basis. There's one faith that saves. And that one faith that saves a person, that one faith that saves us, is belief and trust in Jesus Christ. Hebrews 11.1 1 says, faith is what? The substance of things hoped for, the evidences of things not seen. I have not seen Jesus. Not with my physical eyes anyway. Not with my physical eyes. I have not physically seen Jesus. But by faith, I have seen him through the eyes of faith, through Scripture. Through Scripture, I've seen it. So there's one faith that saves. It's not, it's not faith in our, our baptism. It's not faith in um, the church we go to. It's not faith in our family upbringing. It's, it's faith in Christ and Christ alone. It's faith in Jesus and his death and his resurrection in, in the person of who he is. That's the faith that holds, our, holds us together, and that's the faith that saves. And then he says here, um, one baptism, one baptism. I, 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 see, I see multiple um, baptisms that, he could, he could, that the Apostle Paul could be talking about here, but, and we believe both, which is, uh, says, uh, it says one baptism. We believe that this baptism right here could be referring to is the baptism that the Holy Spirit does in our lives when he unites us with Christ. The Spirit unites us with Christ and into the body. He baptizes us. He takes, you, he takes us out of darkness and he places us into the kingdom and he unites our hearts with Jesus. And that's a spiritual thing that takes place. But also, he could be referring here to water baptism. Amen and amen. Amen amen to both. They're both there, but there's one baptism. There's one water baptism. What is water baptism? It's a church ordinance. It doesn't bring salvation, but what water baptism is a sign to everyone around you that I'm a follower in Christ, that I've gone down into the water, that the old life is gone, and I've come up out, and, the, and I have new life in Christ Jesus. So there is, there's one baptism. It could be the uniting us into the body, uniting us with Christ. He could be talking about, it could be um, talking about water baptism. It could be talking about both. Both of them are good. And then we'll, we'll, we'll talk about next week. I don't think he's talking about gifts here because when we get to verse 7, he's, he's going he's to be full-blown diving into, into gifts and callings. But I think what we're talking about here is the water baptism and the Holy Spirit uniting us into the body of Christ. And then let's look at, and let's finish up with verse 6. Verse 6, he says, One God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Did y'all see the three persons in the text that we just read? 
We believe in the Trinity. Verse 6. It's interesting that the Apostle Paul in this text here, he addresses three separate persons. Look at verse 6. He says, one God and Father of all. Then you go back to verse 4. He says, one Spirit. Then you look at the beginning of verse 5. He says, one Lord. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We see this throughout the entire New Testament. Uh, the, these, um, so the word Trinity is not in the Bible, just like the word rapture is not in the Bible, just like the word Bible is not in the Bible. But it's still there. We see the Father, we see the Son, and we see the Holy Spirit. And again, are we carrying our weight when it comes to holding to these things? And what I mean by carrying our weight, are we standing firm on these? Are we standing firm on this foundation of what Christianity is? You know, unless the Lord tarries and comes back in our lifetime, which I hope he does, you know, we have to pass it on to the next generation. And we have to hold, we have to hold faithfully to, to what Scripture says and pass it on. You know, as I was studying this and thinking about what unites us, um, I couldn't help but to think of here, as I was looking at this passage, there's nothing in these verses about eschatology. What is eschatology? The study of last things. This is the study of last things. There's nothing here about eschatology. There's nothing in here about singing hymns versus contemporary Christian music. There's nothing in here about whether well, we read the King James or the NIV. There's nothing in here about do we have red carpet or do we have green carpet? You know, those are areas now we're not going to drive down into the weeds on secondary and third issues. Eschatology, my, my, my brother Rick that I love, me and him have awesome conversations o o over um, cinnamon rolls and coffee uh, about this subject. You know, I believe in pre-trib. He believes in uh, pre-wrath. But here's the cool thing about it. We both believe the same thing. We just put them in different order. So with that said, we have unity. We have unity. We don't divide, we don't divide over eschatology is, what I'm, is basically what I'm saying. We all believe that there's coming a day where Jesus will rapture the church. We believe there's coming a day where there's going to be a great tribulation. There's going to be the return of the Lord. There's going to be um, the, the millennial reign, the great, white seat of th the great white judgment seat of Christ coming. And sometimes we put them in different order. But praise the Lord. Let's just show each other some grace. Hymns versus contemporary Christian music. Honestly, I love both. I love both, man. I love me some Chris Tomlin. Okay? I, I love listening to, to uh, some of Jesus culture's, Jesus culture's worship music. But, man, I also love Great is Thy Faithfulness. And I also love an amazing grace. So those areas, we don't, we don't divide them. We sing and we enjoy them. Uh, King James versus NIV. I spent my first 10 years as a Christian reading the NIV. From, from, from uh, 92 to, to around 02, I, I was in NIV. And then I started wanting to dive in and get deeper and studying the text. And, and I went to King, New King James. And now, now I'm in the NASB. Praise the Lord, man. The, the best, okay, I'm going to tell you right now. You ready for this? I'm, I'm going to give you the best version of the Bible. You ready? The, the number one, most, the best version of the Bible today is the one that's sitting in your lap. 
is the one that's sitting in your lap. Read it, study it, trust it, and believe what he says. The color of the carpet. You know, we were overhauling this building, and uh, there were some people that got frustrated with me at times because they were like, where do you want this wall? Where do you want this color? And I was like, I don't care. <laughs> I was like, what do you think? It, it's, no, it's no big deal. It's no big deal. Do we want to put a wall here? Do we want to do this? Do we want to do that? It's, it's no big deal. I, I'm not, I'm not, um, we're, we're going we're gonna to show grace in all these areas. Um, we're, we're going to show grace in all these areas. And we're going to walk in unity in, in the things that the scripture commands us to walk in unity when it comes to our Christian faith. So this is the, the, the glue. This is, this is what binds us together. And I go back to um, verse 1. Paul says, Therefore I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling. How do we walk in a manner worthy? Just summarizing my teaching this morning is, is we do what verse 2 says. We walk in humility. We walk in gentleness, patience, and we show tolerance and love. That's how we carry our weight. That's how we keep the axiom equal, knowing what God has done. We respond by giving our lives to him. And then, third, then thirdly, point on this, this text of unity is um, we hold to Christ, the Christian faith, and we don't bend. And we stand firm on our convictions. Amen? So let's, let's pray for unity. Let's pray for unity within our body. Let's pray for unity within the church. Um, I'm going this Wednesday right over here to, um, I think, Columbia Crossroads or, or one of those churches, but meeting with a bunch of pastors and just trying to start connecting with them so we can, you know, and talk about reaching Irmo with the gospel of Jesus Christ, you know, and each church playing their part. But, you know, I'm going there, man, let's be unified with these with our, with our brothers and sisters in Christ, these other churches, and let's fulfill the great commission. Amen? Let's pray. Father God in heaven, thank you, Lord, for your word. Father, I pray for unity. Father, first off, I pray for um, unity in our Christian homes. I pray for unity between husbands and wives, between parents and their children. I just pray, Lord, that you will teach us in this and, and give us nuggets of how we can live out these areas in our life and bring unity in our home. Father, I pray for unity in our, in our local body here at Calvary Chapel. Pray, Lord, that we'll be unified under the Lordship of Jesus Christ and, and, and following your word. And God, give us joy. Give us excitement. Give us, um, make us contagious, Lord by our unity and our love for one another. We love one another, we care for one another, and help us to be, as your, be doers of your word and help us to walk in these attributes, Father. Father, for churches across Irmo and in our community, and, and the churches and the pastors and the leaders that we know across our community, I pray for unity, Father, between churches so that we can fulfill the Great Commission and we can reach people with the gospel. Lord, let us be unified. You've shown us in your word, specifically there in verse 2, how to walk in unity. So, Lord, help us to do that and be that. In Jesus' name we pray, Father. Amen.